morning. It's good to be with you this morning. It's good to study God's word with you here in just a moment. It's been great to worship with you today, and it is a joy to have you with us. If you're visiting with us, we're excited to have you as well. And now a beautiful time that we have here together that we can worship and study God's word. We're going to talk this morning about the faith of Abraham and Sarah. And when we talk about the faith of Abraham and Sarah, sometimes if you're familiar with their story, you question that sometimes. Because if you know their story and you look back to their history, Scripture is pretty clear that there was multiple occasions where both Abraham and Sarah made choices that weren't exactly faithful that they often did things and they made mistakes and they made choices that were selfish and choices that solely thinking about themselves. But yet when we spend some time and study them and talk about their faith, there is a lot to learn. But they weren't perfect. Abraham lied often it seemed, to save his own skin. Two times we're told about specifically in Scripture. In Genesis chapter 16, Sarah makes a decision because of a promise that God has made to Abraham that through his seed that he would have many descendants and he was getting up in age and that wasn't happening at the speed that they thought that it was going to happen. And so in Genesis chapter 16, Sarah comes up with a plan that she would give her maidservant, Hagar, to Abraham to to have a child through. And Abraham goes along with this plan. And he does have a child through Hagar, Ishmael. And in Genesis chapter 18, I want you to take a look at a conversation that God has with Abraham after all of that has taken place. So if you've got a Bible and you've got the Old Testament handy, Genesis chapter 18, look beginning in verse 9 of that text. So keep in mind the context. God has made a promise to Abraham that through his descendants, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed, but he is an old man at this time, and he hasn't had any children at all. And so they try to help God out a little bit by having uh, Hagar uh, conceive and, and produce Ishmael. And God now reiterates in chapters 17 and 18 to Abraham, that's not the way that it's going to be. It's not through Hagar that you will have a son. It is with Sarah that this will happen. Listen to the conversation. Genesis chapter 18, beginning of verse 9. He says, and they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And so he said, here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life and behold Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Now, Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also. And so we get this picture and this conversation that God is having with Abraham that Sarah overhears 
when God tells Abraham, it, it isn't with Hagar, it isn't with Ishmael, it is with Sarah. She will conceive and give you a son. And Sarah hears that, and her mindset is, I'm amused by that. Because not only am I old and way past the age of childbearing, Abraham is old as well. And so we hear a story like that, and we're familiar with a story like that. And we see Sarah laughing at what God had promised. But yet when we turn to the New Testament, and Abraham is talked about multiple times, but Sarah is also talked about twice even. Draw your attention to those. Now in the New Testament, look at 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter is going to use Sarah as an example. I wonder what direction does he go? Does he go in the direction of this faithless laugher of God's promises? Look at what he says about her. I'm in 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 5. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. And so now Peter is using Sarah as a model for all Christian women to follow. He says, all Christian women, you need an example to follow. Here he pushes to the forefront Sarah. Here's somebody to follow. It's interesting. Now Hebrews chapter 11 In Hebrews chapter 11, that was just read for us at the beginning of our time of study, is a passage that that it, it contains from the very beginning to the very end, example after example after example of the greats when it comes to faithfulness, and both Abraham and Sarah are found there. And so I want us to talk about that a little bit this morning. When we think about the faith of Abraham and Sarah, and sometimes we draw too quickly to the mistakes that they made. Did they make mistakes? Sure they did. But one of the key components is they learned from those mistakes and continued to hold tightly to God throughout it all. And here is the key for us to think about this morning. Even as a couple, they learned, they built and they grew in their faith. And that's where I want our focus to be this morning. When it comes to our faith, build and grow. Build and grow. Build and grow. Build and grow. As an individual, as an individual, and you thinking about your faith, your focus, build and grow. Build and grow. As a couple, as a family, as spouses, as you're thinking about your own individual faith, your focus is now in your spouse, and you're thinking about helping them. Well, helping them do what? You're helping them build and grow their faith. Build and grow, build and grow. Children come along, and now as parents, what are you focused on? What are you thinking about? Well, everybody's got the answer. It's pretty simple to think about. What is my focus? Build and grow. Build and grow. As they are young, as they are teenagers, as they are older even, 
Your focus is build and grow. And so now, as an individual, as a family, as a congregation, when we think about our faith, our focus is build and grow. And if we can stay focused on that, guess what will happen to our faith? It will be built and it will grow will then be closer to God, will then be closer to each other. And so what we can do this morning is look to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to see what the Hebrew writer says specifically about Abraham and Sarah, specifically about what it was in their faith that needs to be exemplified. And we will make some practical applications that will help us even today. And so I hope you're open there to Hebrews chapter 11. That's where we're going to be. That's where we're going to spend our time this morning. Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to first talk about Abraham. And Abraham is talked about in verses 8 through 10. And there's a little interlude that we're going to skip over because he's brought up again in verses 17 through 19. And so I want you to open your Bibles there to Hebrews chapter 11. And in Hebrews chapter 11... There it comes, my clicker. My clicker is not clicking very well this morning. All right, Hebrews chapter 11. Let's take a look at the very beginning. Verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, Abraham obeyed. When God calls him to leave his home, Back early on in the book of Genesis, what does he do? He obeys. The key component to that story that we often will reference, and rightly so, is he obeys not knowing where he was going. God tells him to leave, doesn't tell him where he's going. He just obeys and goes. And again, we make the point when we're studying from that story, and rightly so, that he obeys not knowing where he was going. And so for us, what does that remind us of? Well, we've read it already. You think about Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. We often cite that passage as kind of a definition about what faith is. It really kind of gives us a picture about how faith operates. I like that idea a little bit better than, hey, here is a definition of faith. How does faith operate? Maybe even better, what does faith look like? Maybe that's a phrase I like even better. What does faith look like? Because now picture in your mind what we've just learned about Abraham. By faith, he obeyed. He didn't know where he was going. God says leave and he leaves, not knowing where he was going. You know what that reminds me of? Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Conviction in things not seen. He didn't know where he was going, but he was convicted enough through his faith to go even though he didn't know where he was going. That's how faith operates. Obedience. Obedience even if we don't know where that is going. There's a sad direction, I think, today, culturally, even in the religious culture of our day, a sad direction 
of trying to separate in all ways faith and obedience. Even painting the picture that faith and obedience are somehow contradictory terms. But as we open up God's word and we study it from the very beginning to the very end, Faith and obedience aren't contradictory terms. They aren't terms that are warring against one another. They are terms that always are working together. Let me give you an example of that. You don't have to go far in your Bibles. You can stay in the book of Hebrews. Just go backwards a couple of pages. For me, it was three flips. Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Look at what the Hebrew writer says about now our relationship with Jesus. He says in Hebrews 5 and verse 9, having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation. Sounds good, sounds great. To all who obey him. What the Hebrew writer is doing is he's connecting our salvation, our relationship with Jesus with obedience. All of those things are connected together, making it in every way a key component to our relationship with Christ. Is faith a key component to our relationship with Christ? Absolutely it is. But obedience also is a key component to our relationship with Jesus. That's why Jesus himself will say in Luke chapter 6 and verse 46, I have it here on the screen. You're probably familiar with a question that Jesus lays out when he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? He almost seems confused by that. When he asks that question, I hear the words... I hear the words, I hear the adulation, I see your lips moving, but yet you're you're not doing what I say. You call me Lord, you call me Master, you call me Teacher. Why do you do that? Why do you do that and you don't do the things that I'm saying? You see, he's tying those things together. And so for us, as we are learning from the faith of Abraham and Sarah and we're trying for our own faith, individually as well as our families physically and spiritually our focus is building and growing and one way that we do that is we focus in on what God has said do we believe what he has said do we trust him enough to follow him even if it leads us in directions that we don't know exactly where it may be headed? Is our faith strong enough for that? Abraham's was, and ours needs to be. Back to Hebrews chapter 11, as he continues to talk about Abraham and his faith, he'll secondly say this, beginning in verse 9 of Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundation, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, he, that's Abraham, sojourned. His faith allowed him to live as in a foreign country. And that part of the phrasing is oh so important. Let's go back to his story. Genesis chapter 13. 
way back in your Bibles. Think about what God tells Abraham about where he now is living. Don't lose sight about what the Hebrew writer just said and the phrasing that he used, that his faith allowed him to live as in a foreign country. Abraham goes to where God tells him to go, and in essence, although he was in the promised land, it wouldn't be their land for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Think about what's said about it. Follow the story. Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13, beginning in verse 14. He says, And the Lord said to Abram, After Lot had separated from him, he says this, Lift your eyes, look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land, through its length and its width, for I give it to you. And then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron. He built an altar of the Lord, or an altar there to the Lord. Now, two chapters from there, in Genesis chapter 15, listen to what he says. He says that he says to Abraham, again, God speaking to Abraham, no, certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they will come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appearing a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those places. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenezites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Now, I want you to imagine this conversation, these two conversations that God is having with Abraham. He is here in the promised land, the land that ultimately all of his descendants will be given by God, but God says, it's not now, and it's not going to be tomorrow. And it's not going to be 100 years or 200 years or 300 years, but 400 years. So what does the Hebrew writer say about Abraham and his faith? Verse 10, he waited. He waited patiently for that promised land. Is that any different for us? We today, as Abraham did, live as in a foreign country. 
Peter will make the point of 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11 that he says our faith in every way requires us to live as in a foreign country, as pilgrims and sojourners here. This world that we operate in, the world that we live in, the world that we have to conduct all of our dealings in is a foreign country for the Christian. And our faith has to have us focused in on that. That this, this is not what God has promised for us. Where we live now, what he has promised for us is where we will be. And it is our faith that allows us to wait for that. How long will that be? I don't know. For Abraham, 400 years, his family. But it is the faith that we need that will allow us to do that. Now, in Hebrews chapter 11, there's one other thing about Abraham before we get to Sarah. Jumping down a few verses, not just that he obeyed or he sojourned, but he also offered. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered. He offered up Isaac. And he who received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Now again, we can go back in our minds, we can go back to the story that we read in Genesis chapter uh, 18 after Ishmael had come on the scene and God comes to Abraham and he says, this isn't the one, this isn't the son of promise. Sarah, she will conceive and bear you a son. And she does that. Isaac is born. And it isn't super long after that that God tells Abraham to get him, to take him, to offer him as a sacrifice. And Abraham does. Now the story is told to us that as Abraham was raising the weapon to kill his son, that he stopped. But he offered up his son. It was a decision that he had made already. It was a decision that he made of giving to God the most precious thing to him. It's a powerful example for us. We're told here in Hebrews chapter 11 that it was his faith that allowed him to be willing to offer that which was closest And he was willing to do that solely based upon the promise that God had made. It's a powerful thing that we see right here in Hebrews chapter 11, the insight that we get into Abraham's mind. We see it a little bit in Genesis in the story as he leaves his servants, as Isaac and him travel up the mountain alone. He leaves his servants, and if you look close at that story, he tells them, listen, uh, myself and the lad, we're going to go up to the mountain to worship, and then we will, we will come back to you. 
So we see those words, but here in Hebrews chapter 11, we get the insight even to his mind. And we know that the choice was made by Abraham to sacrifice his son on that mountain. But the Hebrew writer tells us that his thought process was, God's promises are so sure that if Isaac is killed upon this mountain, God will raise him up. And we'll walk back down the mountain together. It is a powerful piece of faith. He's willing to give that which was closest to him. Our faith needs to be that. That we would be willing to offer to God our anything. It's exactly what Jesus says. Look at Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, in this piece of teaching that we have, specifically about this idea, listen to what Jesus says about this. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life, also he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. What king going to make war against another king does not sit down first? And consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. And so likewise, whoever of you, listen, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. It's a heavy piece of teaching right there. It's easy to understand. You see, Jesus is saying, if you want to be one of my followers, if you want to have a relationship with me, you need to consider that choice very carefully. It's not something you just jump into willy-nilly. It's not just something you jump into haphazardly or with a little bit of your mind or, or just with some, it's not just one of those things you just jump right into. He says, if you're going to come to me, if you're going to be a follower of mine, if we're going to have a relationship, you, you need to be serious about that. You need to think about the cost of that. Because what's the cost? What Jesus said there at the end of that text, whoever does not forsake all that he has, cannot be my disciple. What does that include? Well, he gives us a few examples. Did you notice the examples that he gave? He could have chosen lots of different things. And we see other examples. I I was thinking this week about, you know, the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus, and he wants to be a disciple of Jesus, and he comes to him with that good question. 
and Jesus kind of gives him a, a, a list of some of the commandments. And the, that young man says, I, I've done all of those things. I've kept that even from my youth. And, and then you, you notice what Jesus says. You need to sell all that you have physically, all of those things that you have and give it to the poor. Then, then you can come and follow me. So Jesus, he could have used that example here, but he doesn't. When he has the conclusion, you, you must, if you're going to be a follower of mine, you've got to forsake all that you have. But what example does he give? Did you notice the beginning of that conversation? Father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, even your own life. You see, Jesus uses the example of those closest to us. That's how serious our faith needs to be. Abraham was willing to offer that which was closest to him. Is our faith like that? Is our faith on a level such as that? Well, as we close... In Hebrews chapter 11, it's not just what we see about Abraham, but Sarah, there is something said. Let's close with this idea. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 11 and 12, I do find it interesting what's said here about her faith. It says, by faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. She bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Similar phraseology that we've read already in the book of Genesis. And so we see here that by faith she receives strength. Though she was way past the age of childbearing, and though that we read already, she struggled with the how this can be, it still was able to take place. Hebrews chapter 11 gives us the why. Because she judged the one who promised as faith. Go back to Genesis chapter 18. We stopped our reading right there in verse 11 and 12. The story of when God tells Abraham that it isn't Ishmael or Hagar, it will be Sarah. She's the one that will conceive. And Sarah's listening at the door of the tent. She hears that. She struggles with the understanding of that. But in Genesis chapter 18, in the midst of that story, let me get back to that. I looked down, I was in Numbers 18, and I was super confused. Look back to Genesis chapter 18. In Genesis chapter 18, after she laughs within herself, verse 12, look at these next two verses. The Lord said to Abraham, why does Sarah laugh, saying, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? What a great question that is. I, I, I find it interesting that 
It's God asking Abraham that. Is there anything too hard? Anything too hard for the Lord? And of course the answer to that is no. And that's where Sarah's strength came from. Her understanding, she received strength because she judged the one who promised as faithful. She was face to face with from human eyes an impossible thing an impossible thing she struggled with the how this was going to take place but Hebrews chapter 11 helps us to understand that her faith allowed her to receive strength because she understood the why that even though in human eyes this was something impossible to take place is there anything too hard for the Lord And the answer to that is no. And so ultimately, that's where our idea of building and growing, building and growing, the strength that is needed for that to happen, the strength that is needed for that to happen is to trust in the one who has promised and judge him as faithful. Our faith requires us to look to God for help. And trust that he can and will provide it. Last passage, Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, the very last passage, and then we'll close. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? That we may obtain mercy and find grace. Here's the key. To help in times of need. That's what our faith will allow us to do. To look to God for help. And to trust that he can and will provide it. One final piece of application. Our faith will build and grow when we are able to get our eyes off of ourself and off of our problems and off of our limitations and off of even our failures and on to God. Why was it that Sarah had a a moment of struggle with her faith? What was she looking at? She was looking at her old husband. She was looking at her old self. And what does God say? Don't don't do that. Don't do that. Don't look look at that. Is Is anything too hard for the Lord? Look here. Look at me is what God says. Don't look at old Abraham. Don't look at your old self in the mirror. You, You look at me. Nothing's too hard for me. Our faith will build and grow if we could get our eyes off of ourselves and off of our problems and our limitations and our weaknesses and onto God and focus on the one whom nothing is impossible. And if we can do that individually, our faith will build and grow. As a family, if we can do that as a family, our faith will build and grow.
If we could do that as a congregation, our faith will build and grow. And as we grow and we build our faith, we get closer to God and we're closer to one another. Beautiful things happen within ourselves individually. A beautiful thing can happen within your family, and beautiful things can happen within our family here at Trader's Point. Let's not forget Abraham and Sarah, the faith that they showcased, and the lessons that we can learn from it. I appreciate you listening so well this morning. What a great opportunity we've had to think about our relationship with God. And we're going to sing the song of invitation. We're, we're going to have an opportunity, as Tim leads us, to think about that relationship. And it may be that we can help you in some way this morning. If an adjustment needs to be made to your relationship with God, now is a great opportunity to make that adjustment. If your relationship with God needs to begin by having your sins washed away through the waters of baptism, what a great opportunity for that, even this morning. Maybe we can help. If that's the case, you let us know as we stand and sing.